Hi everyone, um, my name is JY and it's a pleasure, a joy to be sharing God's word with you this morning. So before we begin, let's uh, commit the time to the Lord. Spirit of God, we thank you for this morning. We just pray that um, as we gather and we listen to your word, will you come and speak to us your word? Will you teach us um, the words of the Bible, what they mean? for the early church and even for us today and speak to us as well uh, a word for each and every one of us here today, Lord. So we thank you and all this we ask in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so we are continuing this series on Acts, um, which we started by talking about the, um, the disciples being sent to sent. To send. And last week, Piero talked about um, the idea of being sent to suffer, which um, obviously, the title itself sounded like a very difficult message and not something that you want to tell like a, a new believer or someone who doesn't know Jesus. So today I'm going to continue this series and unfortunately for this passage, I couldn't think of like a nice scent to something. So I kind of like tried to go with the same idea, but instead of being sent, it's this idea of going. Okay, so... Um, the title of my message today is Committed to Go, and we're looking at the last kind of like passage from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 5. And I think Piero covered a bit of chapter 4 last week as well, but I'm just going to um, talk a bit about it again because it's relevant to what we are going to, the main story that we're going to look at today. So first of all, let's just remember, um, last week we did talk about unity and sacrifice. And today I just want us to remember like the commitment of the believers. So at the end of chapter 4, we looked at a passage where it tells us that the believers were of one heart and soul. Uh, meaning that if we believe what the Bible told, tells us, everyone, it says that the full number of those who believe, meaning everyone was of one heart and soul. Then, uh, that tells us of the unity of the church at a point in time. And in the same verse, it tells us that no one said that anything, uh, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Meaning no one was being selfish. No one was saying like, this is my stuff and I'm not going to share it with you. But everyone was thinking like, how can I use this to meet someone else's needs? Or how can I use what I have to bless someone else? Okay. And in fact, um, from what Luke who is the author of Acts, describes, we find that there is actually no one who was in need because um, people who are being very generous and in fact owners of lands and houses were selling these properties to meet people's needs. Okay, And not only that, the, the owners gave the money to the apostles to distribute to whoever um, had needs. Um, now, we let's take a moment to appreciate how amazing this was. Okay, Because... Right now, people are saying, especially people in the finance world and in investment, and generally, I think most people know, like, one of the most valuable things you can have is property, and especially land, because um, you can, like, rent land from someone else to build an apartment, but ultimately, you have to return to the land to the owner. So if you are owning land today, regardless of where in the world, you're probably pretty rich, and you can probably make a lot of money. And living in New York City, we can just appreciate like how expensive property is already um, and how much if we want to like just buy a piece of the city, how much that would cost us, okay? Probably like in the millions or even in the billions. And even if you have the money, people might not want to sell it, right? But um, in X, the believers of the early church were so generous that they were willing to sell this 
um, very expensive properties just to meet the needs of their fellow brothers and sisters. Okay, and the second part talks about how when they sold the property, they gave the money to the leaders of the church at the time, who were the apostles, to distribute it. And I think that's something that we can find really amazing as well, because um, if we looked at if we look at how organizations or even governments operate today, um, I don't think any of us would want to like sell our property and give it to someone else to like manage that money. Okay, because like um. If we, if we just take the passage for what it is, what does it really sound like? It really just sounds like communism, okay? And I'm not here today to talk about politics, but we know from history that um, all these experiments in whatever forms of government, including communism, hasn't worked out perfectly. There's always something that goes wrong when there is um, more and more people that are involved in governing something, okay? So that's amazing because there was so much trust, there was so much unity, within uh, among the people and not just among the people but between the people and the leaders of the church at the time and i think this really reminds us to go back to how the early church started which is the early church um, came about when the spirit of god came upon the apostles so when piero um, shared earlier today about the five words that describe uh, new city nyc remember that one of the words include spirit led and that is so important for the church um, everyone in the church especially to be spirit-led because that's how unity comes about. That's how sacrifice and commitment comes about. Like um, Pierre also mentioned like um, the, the work that the church is doing with the women who are in Peru. Okay, so let's say like today we want to give money. Can we trust Piero, you know? And if we feel led by the Holy Spirit to give money to the church to help other people, um, how is the church going to manage the money? And that really just comes from being spirit-led, okay? So that's what I want us to remember today, that the commitment of the believers was so strong and that's only possible because of the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, um, I, I want to say that everyone in this world has a price, okay? We might say like, we're not going to be moved by money, but when the amount gets high enough, you know, we go into the millions, the billions, we're going to get tempted. <laughs> yeah, at least for me, I, I think that's what, what's going to happen to me, okay? There, at some point, there'll be an amount where I'll say, okay, this is what I'm, what I'm willing to do. All right, so just remember that, and let's move on to the main part of the story today, which is Acts chapter 5. So one of the things that the Bible does is that whenever it tells a story, sometimes they use contrasting characters to teach us a lesson. And in this um, passage that we read today, there are, three contrasting characters. So on the one hand, we have actually just two very quick verses on this guy called Joseph. We actually don't know too much about him, but we know that he um, was one of the owners of, of property who sold the property and brought the money to the apostles to give it to them to distribute the money. All right, and this story comes immediately before we hear the story of Ananias and Sapphira who sold property, but they didn't, um, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They probably told God or told people that, you know, uh, I'm going to sell this property. It goes for like maybe 400000 but actually they sold it for 500000 something like that, and they kept some of the money for themselves. Um, so very quickly, we can see that there are two different types of characters that we can find in the early church at a point in time. There were, there were people who were really committed and uh, genuine about giving money and just not holding back anything, but there were also people who were 
um, being deceitful. They were trying to lie to people and lie to God in, in, uh, in, in the church itself. We don't know why. We don't know too much about their um, motivations, what their intentions are for doing this. What do they get out of it? We don't know, okay? But what we do know is that there are two different types of characters down here. And the apostles actually called Joseph Barnabas, which is like a, another name. And this means son of encouragement, which just reminds us of like how encouraging that kind of like sacrificial giving um, was to the church at a point in time. All right. So let's talk about it a bit about what was the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know about you, but um, when I first came to know Jesus and then when I was reading the Bible and I came to this story, this story was one of those really complex stories like, wow, why did this suddenly happen out of nowhere, you know? Like everything good was happening. Um, we, we hear very good stories about the early church, how it was growing, people were coming to know Jesus. And then suddenly there are two people and they just die very suddenly, you know? Like people, P Peter just spoke to them and then they just died, okay? But what I want to clarify is that it's really not about the money. Because when Peter was talking to Ananias, um, Peter said in chapter 5 and verse 4, uh, Peter said, While it remains unsold, was it not, uh, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Okay, so Peter kind of implies that there is no pressure to sell your property. You know, if you don't want to give your property, no one's forcing you to do it. And when you sell your property, if you don't want to like give all the money that comes from it, no one's forcing you to do it. Um, you can like say, okay, I'm selling it for 500,000, but I'm only giving like 400,000 to the church. And that's uh, honesty, that's integrity. All right. And um, if you ever wonder about giving, um, I think months ago, I talked about generosity and, and the idea of giving. So if you're interested about what the church has to say about giving, you can look it up in the church podcast, <laughs> which is on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and I don't know where else, but yeah, it's there, okay? But it's really about integri integrity and commitment. And integrity is talks about honesty and about one's character, okay? So in verse, verses 3 to 4 and verses 9 of chapter 5, Peter tells Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have, lied, you have not lied to men, but to God. And he tells something similar to Sapphira. He says, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? So it's really not about the money because if we just remember how powerful God is, um, how limitless he is, he really doesn't need our money, okay? But God is really looking at the character of his followers, of his disciples. And right here in this story, it's about integrity and it's about commitment. And I think it's also about the community and not just the individual. And I'll explain a bit why um, later on in the slides. Okay, so one of the things that we probably need to talk about is about their death, okay? Like, why did they die so suddenly, okay? This incident really seems very sudden. It's unexpected in the story of the church, how it was, uh, how it was growing and where um, the author, author of Acts was going with the story. 
And we generally don't expect God to discipline the community so directly, all right? Imagine it's your first day in church, this is your first time you come to church. It's going to be a shock if you're going to like walk around and talk to people and hear like, hey, did you know last week? Um, yeah, it's like, it's, like, it's like me coming to church one day and telling you guys, hey guys, um, Lara just died. <laughs> You know, Piero talked to Lara the other day and she passed away. <laughs> she said she was going to like practice the songs for five hours, but she only did it for three hours. <laughs> and then she died. <laughs> okay, no, I, I don't think anyone wants to come to church like this. Okay, it's so scary. You know, like someone just talks to this pastor and the person just passes away. <laughs> like you, you, you probably come to a church like this and you don't ever want to talk to the pastor <laughs> or the leader of the church. Okay, um... But I want to say that uh, we really don't know why God was so, um, in a sense, it felt so drastic. Like there were so many other ways he could uh, discipline Ananias and Sapphira, like maybe um, get them out of the church or give them a warning or things like that. But why did they have to die so suddenly? Honestly, I don't have the answer. And I, I mean, I read many like commentaries and books, but I don't think anyone has like a very good answer right now. We can only ask God, like, why did he decide on that form of discipline at a point in time? Um, but we do need to remember that it was God and not Peter. <laughs> Peter didn't kill them. <laughs> All right, God was the one who disciplined them. And honestly, Peter probably wouldn't have known like they were lying about the money without the spirit inspiring Peter to know that um, they actually kept some of the money, money themselves. But one thing that we can appreciate is that when we compare Ananias and Sapphira to um, the rest of the church and even to like the character that we see before Joseph, um, one of the things that it tells us is that when God's spirit is in the church and when God's spirit fills the believers, there is actually no room to pretend. There is no way for us to pretend that we are committed to the church there's no way for us to pretend like um, we really want to follow Jesus because ultimately the one person who knows what's in our hearts is God. So God knows like when we're in church, um, when we are doing things for the church or when we are coming to church, how committed we actually are. And obviously today we can find many different types of people in the church, people who are really committed and people who are just coming to service because it they just feel like I just need to come service. But when they come, they're not really there. They're using their phones or their, their mind is somewhere else. All right, there's a, there's a whole range of people. But we need to remember that when we come to church or when we serve God, it's really not about impressing humans because the one who sees us is not just our peers, but it's God himself. Okay, so pleasing God um, really has to take priority rather than just putting up appearances. And that, I think that's what the story today is telling us. Okay, and um, I think one other thing, okay, which I'm going to come to next. So besides just looking at the individuals and the community, I think one thing that we need to look at is having a greater perspective. This story is just not just about um, Peter and Ananias and Sapphira or Ananias and Sapphira and the rest of the church, but it's really about Satan and God's spirit. Okay, the story reminds us about this confrontation between good and evil, between Satan and God's spirit, that is always happening in the background. Um, whether we recognize it or not, whether we realize it or not, whether we talk about it or not, it's always happening in the background. And it's 
continues to happen even today until Jesus comes back again to reclaim his, his kingdom in all its fullness. All right, and Peter in verse, um, in verse, chapter five, verse three tells Ananias, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? So it's very straightforward. It's very direct. It's saying, it's telling us that who is the one who has been motivating Ananias and Sapphira to lie and to do these things? It's Satan. So there's a conflict between Satan and the Holy Spirit. And when we look at the story of Acts, and in, even in other parts of the Bible, we see that um, in this story, Satan fills Ananias to lie to God and to the rest of the church, whereas God's Spirit fills disciples to proclaim the truth. And that is the contrast that um, the writer of Acts, Luke, he is, he's, trying to, he's trying to show us right over here. Okay. Yeah, so we, we, we do need to remember that this story is not just a story by itself. It's just not a story about lying and honesty and um, commitment. But really, it's reminding us that there is a greater struggle, there's a greater conflict that we don't see with our eyes, with our human eyes. And that's a conflict between Satan and God. And it's not just this story. When you read the rest of the book of Acts, you do find stories of like um, sorcerers, uh, Let's see what else. Um, yeah, you, you, you hear stories about like magicians and demons, and this is the later part of Acts. So there's always, Satan is always working some of these activities uh, even while the early church is growing, all right? And I wouldn't be surprised that there are actually still stories here uh, that, that happen today. It's just that we don't hear about it very often uh, within the church itself, okay? And I mean, most believers probably would live their whole Christian life without like encountering like the idea of like demon possessed or demon oppressed people. So it's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not uncommon not to hear about these things. Right. But if you ever go out to other countries, uh, to do missionary work, that's where you tend to hear these kinds of stories, especially in like more rural places. Um, yeah, these stories are very common. Um, back in Singapore, we have like different, many different religions. Christianity is not even like the biggest. We have many different religions and different people believe in different things. So the idea of the supernatural is really not, um, not uncommon and not unbelievable in Singapore because pe people, if they're not Christians, they might go to other religions or other kind of like, um, I don't know what's the term for them, like other people to like seek help from other spirits or other gods and they really do believe in these things. All right. So just reminder that this is like the backdrop of the context of where the early church was and how the early church was growing. All right. So let's um, move on to look at what happens after Ananias and Sapphira dies. Well, obviously everyone gets frightened. They're scared. And um, in verse 11, Luke says that great fear came upon the whole church. So was, they were not just scared. They were very afraid, all right? The fear was so, uh, so intense that Luke describes it as great fear. And not just the church, but because um, it's not something that you can hide in the church. It's not like, like Lara died in the church and I'm, hey guys, don't tell anyone else that Lara died, okay? <laughs> if anyone asks, anyone checks, don't tell Lara, don't tell anyone Lara died. <laughs> okay, it doesn't happen that way. 
Um, the news is going to spread out and the news did spread out and everyone in the church who heard of these things were also really afraid. Um, yeah. And I'm going to just use a, like a quote here from one of the, one of my favorite writers, his uh, New Testament scholar. All right. And this is what he has to say about this passage. What this passage tells us is that God's decisive judgment Okay, whether we agree with it or not, whether we, we think that's right or not, what we can see is that God's decisive judgment against Ananias and Sapphira guarantees that, for the time being at least, um, only true believers and not compromising ones will join the movement of the church. And we do see it in some of the um, passages in chapter 5 as well. Okay, because right here in... Um, Verses, verse 12 onwards, it says that, well, the apostles continued to do signs and wonders. And in verse 13, it says that none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Okay. Meaning that there were people who saw these things happening. They knew of uh, that Ananias and Sapphira had died after talking to Peter. Um, and they were afraid. They didn't dare to join the church, but they still respected the church and they held the church and the believers in high esteem. Okay, and what, what else happened afterwards? Um, we see that actually the church just continued business as usual. It's like, oh, someone died. Okay, let's just continue doing things like we normally did. All right, basically, God continued to do signs and wonders regularly among the people through the apostles. Um, and in fact, more believers than ever joined the church, which is surprising because like, if you ever hear, hear of someone dying in the church, uh, it probably should scare you off. But in this case, more people actually join. And finally, even though they heard of this really scary story, people continued to bring the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were healed. So it's kind of like business as usual, but not only that, the church continued to grow. They saw more people coming than ever before, even though um, there was such strict discipline from God, okay? So we can see this story as kind of like God's way of kind of like filtering out people. Like, it's a growing movement. It's not easy because at a point in time, people, uh, the Christians were still being persecuted. So it's not as though like, it's great being a Christian. It's not as though like, um, people are going to respect you just because you're a Christian. But God was also still doing some form of filtering, and he was really looking for only the true believers, people who were really um, willing to commit everything to following Jesus to come to the church. All right. So this brings us to the church today. What does this story have to tell us? I think, first of all, it really reminds us that we don't change or lower God's standards for holiness and righteousness just to attract more people to come to the church, all right? So basically, um, we, the, the message of the gospel is good news, and it's, it's uh, Jesus really wants people to believe in him and to be safe, but that does not come at the price of changing the message just to make it easier for people to come to church, all right? And what I mean by this is that, um, let's say if someone comes to church today and this person has a problem, all right? This person maybe is, a, is an alcoholic, drinks a lot, and always gets into fights. 
we're still going to welcome him or her. All right, we're still going to say, it's okay for you to come to church. It's okay for you to come to our gatherings, our events, our picnics. But we're not going to change the message. We're not going to say that getting drunk is fine. We're not going to say that, you know, uh, getting violent, beating people up is fine. Just so that the person will stay in church. The message of God never changes today. All right. Um, and you can do a bit of research. So over the past decades, of course, uh, those of us who have really looked at um, the church, and, and not just New City NYC, but the church in, in general, in the United States and in the world. And if you have been following up with the different cultural issues, not just in the US, but in the world as well, we know that um, in the past two or three decades, especially, um, the church and culture has, and popular culture has come into conflict on more than one occasions. And one of the interesting things that um, people are talking, uh, have been talking about is that churches that change their standards of what it means to follow Jesus, they actually tend to see like fewer people coming over time. Of course, in general, I think the overall trend is that um, there, there are, people are leaving the church and that's not a good sign. But churches who lower God's standards, um, whether it's in the Bible, um, they tend to see more and more people living. And I don't think that's, that's a surprise. I don't think that's uh, unbelievable because honestly, if the church is just going to say the same thing as the rest of the world, then how are we relevant? <laughs> yeah. If the church is not going to lay down God's standard and tell people honestly, you know, guys, God loves you, but this is the character, this is the person that he has made you to become, and this is the person that he wants you to be, um, how are we different from the rest of the world? If, if I'm just going to be up here and telling you guys, hey guys, it's a great day, the weather's good out there, everything that you do is right, there's nothing wrong, <laughs> don't feel guilty, just go out there and live your life, then there's really no, no point for us to be here. We should just be out there just doing whatever we want. Okay, so there is actually um, keeping the standards and teaching the right standards for righteousness and holiness uh, is the thing that the church needs to do. Okay. All right, before I go to reflection, um, I just want to kind of conclude with a few, one or two more points. Uh, it's, not on, it's not on the slide. Yeah, so God is looking at the character and not just the number of disciples. As much as we want the whole world to believe in Jesus and to come to salvation so that no one uh, needs to be judged when Jesus comes again, uh, we cannot do this by changing the message. We cannot do this by um, just lowering God's standards. All right, before I go into reflection questions, just a couple more points. So... One of the interesting things about the book of Acts, and this is not, like, I, I didn't find this out, like, just by reading the book of Acts by myself. Okay, I obviously read some other guy who did a lot more study than me. Um, but a couple of years back, one of the things that I suddenly realized while reading this book, and the book is up there in the library as well, was that actually the book of Acts does not use the word love. So you can go use the, your, uh, your Bible in your phone and search up the word love in whatever form, like love, loves, loved, or the grammatical forms. You will find that Luke never uses the word love in X. Okay? And that's really interesting. And I don't think it's by accident because 
the book of Acts is one of the longest books in the New Testament. And I remember doing this. Um, I think every other book in the Bible has the word love at least once. Yeah, I remember looking it up myself. So I'm pretty sure that every other book in the Bible has the word love um, in there. Okay, but it's interesting that in writing the history of the growing and early church, Luke never uses the word love. Okay, and when you compare it to how maybe you first heard of the gospel, when you first um, encountered Christians or the church, one of the first words you hear is love. Because um, that's probably like the best part about God's message. You know, God loves you. That's why he wants you to believe in him. He wants you to repent so that you don't have to pay the price for your sins. Um, that's a message that we always go with. And today, imagine for yourself, if you're going to write a history of the early church, if you're going to write maybe like say a history of New City NYC, um, you're probably, you're probably going to use the word love somewhere. All right. So it's very significant that Luke does not use the word love in the book of Acts. Why does he not do this? I think that's because the emphasis in this passage um, in the early church is really about the unity and the power of God rather than just love. Of course, the message of love is still important and the message of love is implied in the, in, in the text. But love itself is not the only quality that God gives to us and is not the only quality of God. Um, because we, if we imagine ourselves humanly, we can love someone, but we're, we're limited, we're weak, we're flawed. At some point in time, we're going to do something that's not loving, especially of those of us who are in marriages or relationships. <laughs> yeah, Lara's looking at me like, yeah, I know what this guy's talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's not enough. Yeah, love, God's love is backed up by his power to love us and to help us to love other people. So remember how I started today's message by talking about the commitment of the believers? That doesn't just come about by love. That comes about because God's spirit empowered the early believers to be generous, to give um, without holding back, to really trust in God's spirit, to lead them, to be able to trust in the leaders of the church at that point in time, to be able to trust in their fellow believers as well, that everyone is in this together. Okay? Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, also just read out this quote from another, uh, another writer that talked about, that yeah, explains more about the story of Acts. He says that the biblical story teaches us that God's love cannot be reduced to inclusiveness because authentic love calls us to repentance, discipline, sacrifice, and transformation. We can recover the power of love only by insisting that love's meaning is to be discovered in the New Testament story of Jesus, therefore in the cross. And there's a, there's a verse in Hebrew that tells us that God disciplines us because he loves us. Because honestly, how many of us will be bothered to go, to go kind of like care for another person's children, especially when this person's probably not going to follow you for the rest of your life? You know, you're, you're probably not going to care. And realize, ah, this guy's just doing whatever he wants. It's fine. Yeah, it's not my child. <laughs> you know, but it's your own children that you will discipline. And like, likewise, God disciplines us because he loves us. 
So love cannot stand by itself, but it comes alongside these other things that God is calling us to, which includes repentance, discipline, sacrifice, and transformation. All right, so before we go to the reflection questions, and in case this message, this last part that I, I, I talked about sounded really challenging and like really unloving, I just want to say, just remind you that, you know, what all this means is that we're not telling people not to come to church, or we're not saying that you need to be at a certain standard of commitment or certain standard of holiness or righteousness. It's not that you have to be like the perfect person or Christian before you can come to church or to come to God. Um, but coming to church, coming before God's presence means that at some point in your life, God is going to challenge you with these things. When you come into the presence of God's Holy Spirit, He's going to ask you, how committed are you? How much are you willing to give? How much are you willing to give up just to follow me? And of course, God doesn't do it in like a, like a zero to 100 kind of way. He, he takes us step by step. He, he knows how to raise us. He knows how to grow us. He knows what our, what our limits are. So he will challenge you step by step. He will probably give you like, tell you to do something small and then you might struggle with it, but you do it. And then he might tell you to like, challenge you with something bigger and then something bigger afterwards. Okay, and of course, um, there are stories I could tell, but we, we don't have time today, but I would love to talk about more um, in, my, in my own journey as well. And I'm sure like many of you have stories as well of your own about how God has challenged you in sacrifice. But just for today, let's uh, take some time to reflect on two questions. Number one, what does commitment to follow Jesus look like to you? Yeah, so maybe when, before we came to, came to know Christ, before we came to church, one of the struggles of commitment was like just showing up in church every Sunday. <laughs> yeah, okay, so like for me, um, when I made the decision to go to church, so I went to church and then at the time I was in high school, so I joined a youth group. And honestly, those were teenagers, so... They, they, they really wanted to welcome me and hang out with me. Um, but what they did was every Saturday night, they would bring me to like go play video games and we would play like 2 or 3 a.m. <laughs> and then sun, Sunday morning, we'd be like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to church anymore. It's like, <laughs> I'm so tired. I want to sleep in. Okay, so they, they were really great people. Some of them were still my friends, but <laughs> they were obviously not the perfect examples. All right. But for me at the time, it was just at some point telling myself like, hey guys, you know, it's all great, but this is not going to work out. I don't want to go to sun church on Sunday morning, like feeling sleepy and just falling asleep in the congregation and not hearing the message. So I, I really got to like just stop hanging out so late on Saturday night. All right. So that could be what commitment looks like to someone who's new to the church. Um, so today for you, wherever you are in your journey with God, in your relationship <laughs> with God, what does commitment look like? And the second question, what would you find difficult to give to God or to do for God? Yeah. And again, this might look different for some of you guys. It could be time. It could be money. It could be um, a hobby or things like that. It, could be, it really could be anything. And 
I'm just going to share one more story real quick. So years ago, this older lady who was teaching in the church, um, she's like a professor and she, she, she was also like a missionary. And she shared this story where she talked about experience. Uh, I don't remember where, it's one of the Asian countries. And there was, in that village, there was her and this other lady who were serving the community. And one day she asked God, like, hey, um, God, you know, why is it that every time I wanted to do a certain hobby, um, you don't let me do it? You tell me not to do it. But you look at this other lady, <laughs> she has like five different hobbies. She's doing like your work and so many other things in her life. Why can she do like all this extra stuff, but not me? And God's reply to her is something along the lines of like, because God knows that if this first lady were to do some kind of hobby, she would be distracted and she would just forget about God's work. But the other lady could still prioritize God's work above all her hobbies. So all of us are different. All of us have different weaknesses, all have different struggles and different temptations. So no one is the same. And I want to say that what God is, might be calling you to do or to give might be different from somewhere, someone else. So in case you're comparing like, hey, why am I called to do this? But no one else is doing this. That's God's way of growing us. Yeah. All right. So I just want to share this, that, that story. But again, just um, bring this back for the week and just think about what does commitment mean and what do you actually find difficult to give to God or to do for God right now in your life. I don't really have like a, a challenge, weekly challenge. Uh, I know Pierre was studying it and he asked me this morning. <laughs> um, so on the way here, I was, I was thinking about it. I think the challenge for us this week would be if there is something that God has placed on our hearts already, whether it's to give or to do, um, let's pray about it. Ask God for the strength to do it. Okay? And yeah, that's, that's all I have for today. But let me just... Um, let me just maybe say one or two lines to kind of like summarize the whole message. Basically, the early church is about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit filled the apostles, they preached the gospel, the church grew. And today, if we are going to be a spirit-led church in the presence of the Holy Spirit, there is no room for us to pretend. Um, and this does not mean that you need to pretend because all of us are weak. We want to be a community that is willing to share our challenges with each other. But it's also a reminder that there is no way to pretend in front of God. God's going to challenge us and we are going to grow. We are going to rise up to the challenge and God's going to give us strength and the faith to do that. All right. So thank you so much for, yeah, just listening to this message. I hope it blesses you, but I also hope it challenges you. All right. Because I don't want to just give you a nice, message just to like like pat your bags and, and rub your bags but i want to say that god's word needs to challenge us as well to be the title of message committed to go all right because last week piero talked about suffering um before we can get to the suffering god needs to make sure that you can endure and pull through the suffering he doesn't want to put you in suffering just to see you crumble and leave the faith all right. Okay, so let's, uh, before we have the response song, let's just uh, very quickly pray. Let me just pray for us. Uh, dear Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for everyone who's here today and those who are going to hear the message online. 
Lord, we thank you for calling us to be your followers. We thank you for making us your disciples, Lord. And Father, we just ask for your strength today, um, for your power, the power of the Holy Spirit today to fall upon each and every one of us, Lord. That as your Spirit fills us, you would give us the power and the strength uh, to follow you and to be sent to do all these things that you're calling us to do, to, to be sent to preach the gospel, to be sent to heal people, to be sent uh, to suffer, Lord, for, for your message. So Lord, whatever we are struggling with today, wherever we are in our growth, uh, Lord, I just pray that you will bring us to the next step. And we don't do this by our own strength or like by our willpower, but we do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. So thank you, Lord. And all this we ask and we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.